<laughs> Welcome back to 3XL, people. Y'all need to slide through and listen to, not long to listen to us, but stop in to see us. We're live from T-Mobile today, 3800 Hillsborough Pike. We would love to see you. We would love to come say, give you a fist pound, keep everything moving. You know, traffic is picking up, so what better place to come through and stop and see? T-Mobile, get your phone. Join Team Galaxy with me. You know, all the droid users out there, power to the people. We don't need these iPhone people. I mean, you can slide through and get one of them too, but nobody will really care. You know, I won't. But what's the. What's if you the... want to piss off all your iPhone friends, <laughs> be Ron Slay. <laughs> That's Don Davenport, people. You know, Are you the only one in our entire station thread, or is there somebody else? I think I'm the only one. I'm holding it is down. Is Blaine? I think Blaine's iPhone. Blaine's iPhone? Okay. I think. There, I thought there might be somebody else. I think I'm the only one holding us down. Unbelievable. Yeah, I'm, I'm the realest one here. I'm the loner. The realist. Uh, <laughs> just Don Davenport, people. Uh-huh. Joe Hunk is behind the glass. You know who I am. I am Ron Slay. Oh, I'm in oh. the building. I'm in the building. Hey, I'm in the building. 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 I just got confirmation what, from Lucas what? that Blaine is not on an iPhone. That's what's up. So it's you and Blaine I mean, that are a pain in our butt. I mean, I mean, sometimes, man, you got to do what you got to do. Turning it all green. I mean, you got to do what you got to do out here, man. <laughs> sometimes you just do. We're not going to make it's... fun of him, though, because we've seen him hit a quarterback. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Also, y'all just going to clown me. Y'all see me dunk a ball. <laughs> That's not as terrifying Your as a guy coming is over not the middle. The hit man. Well, ask the guy from Georgia. I put him on a poster. I bet he thinks it's a little bit. Did you watch a Carolina game last night? No, I didn't. Such I was a watching good atmosphere. Georgia and Memphis. Memphis Ooh. ranked. Went into Georgia and Goes got beat. Down. Do you know what was trending on Twitter? What? Penny can't coach. Yes. Hey. Penny can't. Coach trending on Twitter. I don't know what they want to do about that, but boy, 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 that ain't no good look. That is not a good look. So they got to see us December 18th. That's for sure. Um, And when I say see us, I mean the Tennessee Vols. They play them at Bridgestone in a neutral site. What what happened to Memphis? Did you watch that whole game? Yes, I did. Because George, I I love Tom. Yeah, Tom Green. Love Tom Green. Mm -hmm. Love, love. Everything they're building there, but they're yep. not good. No, they're not. And I mean, they're lost. one of the worst teams in the in SEC. SEC. You are exactly right. I think they're supposed to finish lower than Vanderbilt. And that's, I'm not knocking y'all, Vanderbilt. I'm just saying. Right. But um, yeah, I would pick, there's no, there's pick no reason Memphis last. should lose. There you them. go. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes, so, that's but I will saying. say, especially with the assist leader in the SEC, Severa Wheeler, going to Kentucky, he went uh, in the transfer portal. Then Christian Brown, who's over at Tennessee State now, they lost him as well. Memphis has literally, if the draft were to happen tomorrow, two top five picks. Hands down, there's no question about it. Whether it's on potential, how good they are, whatever. They went down to Georgia and they lost. So figure that out. I don't know. But I will say, Duran, Jalen Duran is a man in the middle. Imani Bates, a little overhyped to me. A little overhyped. Was the number one guy coming out of his class, reclassified, went to Memphis, was the prize pick for Penny getting in this year uh, to give them the number one class. I'm not sure he's that guy, especially at the point guard spot. We'll get into that deeper as it gets closer. Yes. But, yeah. As we jump into 
college basketball a little more. Um, Yes, the mayor you uh, have heard is off. He was in Chattanooga for the TWSAA state championship. You're hearing some updates throughout our show. Um, So congrats to all those kids and families from our area who are playing in state title games. Nothing better than that. Nothing cooler. Nothing cooler than hoisting a a gold ball trophy, that's for sure. Listen, I've been able to do it twice, Babs. Love it. You won two state titles in high school? Yeah, Pearl Cone. Nice. Back-to-back state championships, yeah. Junior, senior year for you? No, sophomore, junior year. Sophomore, junior. Yeah. Okay. Junior year, I I was out with a wrist broken, so I didn't really contribute to that team. I did did in the preseason, though. But, you know what I mean, so. But. I will say it's nothing like it, man. You'll be able to look back on this, and I promise you memories for life. Even just getting there, the journey to get there. So don't feel disappointed. I mean, feel disappointed because you lost. But you always remember that journey with your brothers, man. No doubt. Um, Greg Cosell is going to be our guest coming up next. We will break down the Patriots – Titans game, what he saw from Ryan Tannehill there. Mm-hmm. I want to get his take on Mac Jones, too, um, and, and some of the numbers that we're seeing in his rookie season. Six straight wins, of course. That's, that's the, the obvious talk, which is the fourth most for a rookie quarterback since 1970. Six games with 100-plus passer rating. <laughs> Mac Jones. Yeah. With the Pats. With the same weapons that Cam said he didn't have to throw to last year. Uh-huh. Eight games with 70% plus completion percentage, which is the most in the NFL this season. Wow. So there's some Mac Jones numbers for you. We'll, uh, we'll have Greg Cosell break that, that down. Um, on Twitter, we are talking about Ryan Tannehill. What is going wrong for Ryan Tannehill? What does the tape show? Greg Cosell will tell us that as well. Tim Hancock on Twitter. I agree it's not all on number 17, but in this situation, he needs to elevate his game he hasn't even come close to doing that. I'm with Brent Doherty. He has the yips. That is a conversation because the great ones elevate their game when those around them are injured, are gone, when their playmakers have stepped away, and you've seen it from Tom Brady year after year. Obviously, you can't compare Ryan Tannehill to Tom Brady. You can't compare a whole lot of people to Tom Brady or yes. Aaron Rodgers. You yes. just can't. Yes. But – um. But that's a legit point Mm -hmm. that, hey, if you're the guy, you have to step up. It's going to be interesting. At that point. Um, Breaking news, some more coaching carousel news. Oh, here we go, Jim. Uh, Here here we go, Jim. Here we go, Jim. (laughs) Yep. So there's another opening. Virginia's Bronco Mendenhall has resigned as Cavaliers coach following their bowl game. That coming from Brett McMurphy, the real Brett McMurphy. That's a little check by him. A little yes. check by it. But that's uh that is a, a surprise. Mm. What's mm. It, yeah. what's going on there? I mean, because you look at, at what he's built there, you look I've worked two Virginia games yes, this year. Have. So I've I've got to see it up close and personal. You look at that quarterback and what he's done and, and um, you know, if he was healthy, he would have been a legit Heisman candidate Mm -hmm. no questions asked and that kid on the sideline from a leadership standpoint is one of the best that i have ever seen in 10 years of wandering the sidelines for espn that he is next level i mean that kid apologized to his team when he basically 
broke his ribs at BYU because he was no longer available for them in that game. Like, before he went to the locker room, (laughs) apologized to his teammates. I should have gone down. I shouldn't have tried to fight for more (sighs) yards. I'm sorry. I'm not able to be out here with you. Then to the locker room, proceeded to miss three weeks because of um, alleged broken ribs. Right. So, uh, leadership. And in that... I mean, recruiting-wise, they felt like they've been in a great place. Virginia has, so that's uh, that's interesting. So, yeah, Bronco Mendenhall announcing at Virginia he's going to step down from his position following the team's bowl game. Um, multiple reports on that, too. Now, Bronco or Brett McMurphy reporting that. Uh, Brandon Marcello also reporting that and and that's a wow and we are continuing to see some wow things there's obviously got to be more to this situation but we'll uh keep an eye on it didn't see that one coming no definitely didn't see that one coming all right time for a break greg cosell is next yes we will check in what does the tape tell us on the tennessee titans from last week greg cosell coming up next on 3hl Welcome back in 3HL and 104.5 The Zone here on this Thursday. And you know what that means. We get uh, one of the smartest mans in the NFL to join us. Executive producer, analyst, NFL matchup, senior producer at NFL Films. That's Greg Cosell to break down what the film shows us. Cosell, how are you? Hi, Don. How are you? Hi, Ron. Hey, Greg. I'm good. Let me tell you this. Titans fans are very excited that there's a bye week, and so is that team. <laughs> I had a feeling you're watching film on guys that you did not expect to be watching tape on for this Titans roster, huh? <laughs> uh, probably, yeah, on the offensive side of the ball in particular, yes. Yeah, no doubt. So the, the big talk with everybody is obviously Ryan Tannehill, but before we jump into that and really dive in on what the tape shows about his performance right now, I want to hit on Mac Jones and what he's been able to do lately. Um, six straight wins, six games with a hundred plus passer rating, eight games with seventy percent plus completion percentage. I mean, the the numbers are impressive in his rookie season at this point. Where has the switch kind of flipped for him that you've seen? Well, I don't think the switch has flipped. And by the way, Don. He did not have a very good game this past week. He didn't throw the ball as well as we have seen him. He missed some opportunities. uh, And there were some plays where he didn't see it particularly clearly. So the numbers might have looked good if you saw it on a sheet of paper. But he did not have a really good game this week. The other important point to make here is this is a run first team. This is a physical offense that starts with the run game. And he works off of that. And they play to what he is. He gets the ball out quick. He sees it quick. Um, and that's that's how they play. So he's played at a very high level for the most part, given how they've chosen to play. But this offense starts with the run game. Well, the Titans offense used to start with the run game, too, when they had that Derrick Henry guy out there. <laughs> well, that's what they want. That, that, if you want to transfer over here and transition to the Ravens, I mean, to the uh, Titans, um, Their game plan approach clearly this past week was to run the ball from base personnel groupings, 
control the pace and tempo of the game, shorten the game, and ideally score touchdowns in the red zone. That was the, the plan. Um, to some degree, it worked. They did run the ball well, um, but turnovers and the the total inability to create any big plays in the passing game hurt them. And it's it's hard just to win running the ball without any concurrent ability to to make plays in the pass game. Even if you have Derrick Henry, of course, what makes Henry different is he can run for sixty yard touchdowns. Yeah. But um, he gives you those explosives, right? Yeah, he he gives yeah. you those, but. But they so, you know, the plan itself at times worked. It's just, you know, then we can get into Tannehill if you want, because he missed some things in this game that ideally you have to hit when you don't get as many opportunities. The ones you do, you have to hit. And he missed a couple. And and do you see a difference in that? Um, just compiling yards, both running backs, if they're able to get into the to the to the end zone in the red zone. I think that's that that played a big factor too. If they get in the end zone once or two more times, then it's a different ball game. But them being stale, stale at the end, in the red zone and not being able to get in the box, that was that was, that was tough. Yeah, to and also you had the fumble by Foreman after yep. a thirty-yard gain. Um, Hilliard had a fumble. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, obviously, you had the end zone interception um, yeah. on fourth and goal in the fourth quarter, which would have made and it was early in the fourth quarter. It would have made it a one-score game if they had scored a touchdown, and obviously. Um, that that was fourth down, so they had three shots prior to that. Um, and of, on fourth down, they ran. Don, did you know what they ran on fourth down? It's it's a very famous play. What's that? They ran spider two y banana on fourth down. Oh, spider two y banana. And we've uh, talked about that before too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, everybody has it in their playbook. It's a, it's a famous, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a well-known tight red zone play. And uh, McCourty just made a great play. Tannehill did not account for McCourty who settled into an open void. He just saw Hollister running the back line of the end zone and, and he was open, but McCourty just settled into an open void and he was in position to tip the pass. But um, so, yeah, so if they had scored there, I believe that would have made it 26, 19 uh, or 26, 20, perhaps with an extra point. Um, so, yes. And that was early in the fourth quarter. But so turnovers clearly hurt them. Um, you can't really say the game plan was incorrect because, um, you know, what they put out on the field in terms of, of receivers. I mean, their top three receivers were Westbrook, Ahini, Hollister and Rogers. And, and Fitzpatrick got some snaps as well and actually caught a ball in which he ran a really, really good route. But, you know, those are, that's the receiving group that they're putting out there right now. So let's talk about that because you mentioned Tannehill missing some things. Um, yeah. And, and specifically, I know it's hard to pinpoint when you're not in there and you're not breaking down film with them personally, but the, the... Well, there's a couple of plays that are specific that he needed to hit. Okay, let's talk about why he didn't hit those then. Let's kind well, of go through his struggles. I mean, um, in the second quarter, there was a missed opportunity on third and four from the plus 26-yard line when um, Rodgers from number three in, in a bunch formation ran a stutter fade and got on top of Bryant. And Tannehill put the ball too far outside, and what could have been a touchdown was an incomplete pass. You know, that's a throw you got to make. Um, now, again, it's very possible that they could say that Rodgers, you know, didn't 
do the right. I don't know. You know, there's always tweaks and details. But but the bottom line is that's a play you have to make when you get a receiver wide open uh, on third down like that on a stutter fade. That that ball's got it. That throw's got to be made. Um, there was another one um, on the second possession of the third quarter, which seemed like a nothing play at the time. Maybe um, it was deeper in their own territory. He had Hollister on an outcut on third and five. And Hollister beat Mills, but Tannehill left the ball too far inside, and it allowed Mills to make a play on the ball. Would have been, you know, a seven or eight yard gain, but it was third and five, and it would have been a first down, and it would have kept a drive alive. So, you know, he only threw 21 balls. So when you only throw 21 balls, uh, you don't get as many opportunities, but you, you, the ones that are clearly there to be made, you've got to make. And of course, the longest play of the game was 24 yards on a flea flicker. So they really didn't have you know, any passing game to speak of. You, it's, it's hard to actually see this, I know, on, on the tape, but with those that he's missed, like, so Britton, Brent and I have this argument. Brent says, I think he has the yips because of, um, you know, pressure and what he's seen. And, and we know it's a combination of and all I can, of that. Yeah, I can't speak to that. I, I right. don't know what he's feeling, you know. But so. from a pressure standpoint, what have you seen him have to deal with lately as opposed to maybe early in the season? Well, let's put it this way. I think he's had to deal with an entire change in an offensive, number one offensive personnel, and to some degree a philosophy. Look, when you have Derrick Henry in the backfield, I mean, that's there's a lot of comfort there. Um you know, this was a team that even when they got down, who were they down 24 to nine against earlier in the season? Was that Seattle? Seattle. Yep. Yeah. On the road. Yeah. And they came out in the third quarter and ran the ball. How many yeah. teams are going to come out in the third quarter down 24, nine and run the balls if the score is zero, zero, you know, when you on the road Henry, in Seattle, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, when you have that, it changes everything about the way you think about the game. And, you know, and, and those are the things I can't speak to what's in his head, but he has had to gone through kind of a whole change in how you have to play and how you have to try to win. And I imagine in the middle of a season, that can't be easy. Um, you know, he's, he's been a quarterback that has been able to have that security blanket of Henry and as the foundation of the offense and to work off that, even though they ran the ball well in this particular game against New England, and clearly that was their game plan approach, it's not the same as having Derrick Henry as your back. Yeah. Now, now you got Dontrell Hillman, who um, who's, who's looked pretty good, by the way. Yeah, that, and that, that's what I was going to ask you. What was the difference um, between the Texans game and the Patriots game that you saw from him? Well, I think Hilliard has some juice to him. I think that he yeah. he's he's an effective zone runner. Um, you know. Th- they had success in the run game in two areas in this game. They had they were effective with outside zone to the left side of the offense. They had some good success, and they were effective with the delay draw, not only on the long touchdown, but they ran one very effectively in the second half. Um, <clears throat> so those two runs were effective, but Hilliard does have some juice. He's, he's a one-cut downhill runner. He's got short area burst. He has pretty good vision. I mean, he he's shown, again, I'm not going to sit here and say what he is, uh, other than what his traits are, no one's suggesting he's going to be their feature back going forward. Obviously, he's not. Um, but I think he's got some juice to him. Um, Foreman doesn't have the same kind of juice as Hilliard has. 
Adrian Peterson's still getting uh, looks. He made another practice squad. I, I, I saw that. It's um, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I'm just, you know, I was just judging by the tape, you know, when he played those few games for the Titans, he, he doesn't look to me like he's really an NFL runner just based on tape. Yeah. And then that resets the Hall of Fame um, induction or uh, selection, right, Greg? Well, it's five years after you oh, retire, yeah. so I guess now it's five years. Five assuming, <clears throat> right, it's five more years, although, you know, knowing Adrian Peterson, he probably thinks he can play till he's 50, but <laughs> who knows? Who knows if someone will let him play? Right. Yeah, that's a tough position to play that yeah. long. Um, okay, Nick Westbrook-Akine has been the leading receiver for this Titans team um, the last two games. What have you seen from his game, uh, I guess, difference from last week and the week prior? I mean, that's a hard question. I'm not studying him individually, and I don't think he necessarily jumps off the film. Um Obviously, he caught the 24-yarder on a flea flicker. It was actually a nice catch. Um, you know, he caught the touchdown, which was a one-yarder um, when he rolled into the end zone. You know, I think just seeing him this year, um, he's got some quickness to him. I, you know, I, and this is going to sound like I'm being negative, but, I mean, can he end up being a third or fourth receiver on your team? Yes, he can. But he's probably your number one receiver right now. And, yeah. you know, that's not a position that, you know, he's being asked to do something that's probably not what he's truly capable of being. And I don't think I'm saying anything that anybody else wouldn't say who, you know, follows the game and studies tape. Greg Cosell is with us, executive producer, analyst, NFL matchup, senior producer of NFL films. Um, Cosell, let's jump on the other side of the ball. Uh, and defensively, you know, we've talked about how good this defense has looked. Um, and, and felt maybe the game plan was there last week, but maybe just missing a little bit. What was missing defensively that maybe we had seen prior to that, prior to this game? Well, I mean, this is a team that has been really good rushing the quarterback and they couldn't generate any pressure on Jones, but that is a big function of what the Patriots do. I mean, the throws are defined for Jones quickly in, in his drop. And he gets the ball out. He's a tough guy to sack. Now, they had a couple of sacks. They had one phenomenal sack uh, with Bayard on third and eight in the third quarter. which came on a really well-disguised triple A-gap pressure. You don't see a lot of triple A-gap pressures these days in the NFL. And Bayard did a great job of disguising it because he came from outside the box in man coverage position. And he was the third rusher into the A-gap. And there's never a blocker for a third rusher into the A-gap. So um, that was because it was third and eight. It did require a deeper drop for Mac Jones. But in in normal situations, normal type down and distance situations, he's a difficult guy to sack because, like I said, the way they play, the ball gets out quick. And, and, And a real positive in Jones game is you never really see him get stuck in the pocket with nowhere to go with the ball like some quarterbacks do. He just doesn't get stuck. He has an innate feel for, you know, just getting it out, seeing it and getting it out. Greg. We we got Jacksonville coming up after the bye week. Um, hopefully, guys get back healthy. But Jacksonville was a team early in the year that was hanging around with 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 teams and seemed like they were ready to turn the corner, just looking for that one win. And then, you know, it never really came. I mean, the Dolphins and yeah, they right. they shocked the Bills. But 
Is this a team that you would want to see coming off this bye week where you can rest the guys one more time and hopefully get over the hump? The NFL, you can't rest anybody. <laughs> right. Well, I'm sure if Sean McDermott was listening, he might disagree with you, Ron. Um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think that, let's put it this way, it's a game where the strengths of the Titans should be able to win the game. But, you know, right. that's, as Dawn said, it is an NFL game. But their O-line is not very good, and it's not very athletic. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think that the Titans really should be able to do some damage. Um they don't really have a receiving core that that really scares you a whole lot. Um, so you're dealing with a, a rookie quarterback who's talented, but is under far too much duress and doesn't really have a go to guy when he's under that duress. You know, he doesn't. I mean, Marvin Jones is solid, but in an ideal world, Marvin Jones is not a big time number one. He's 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 been a really good pro. He'll probably play for 12 years and we'll look back in his career and say, man, that guy was a solid pro. But, you know, he's not that guy. Anybody jump off the page that could be disruptive to the Titans as far as offensively? Because you, you want to take this time coming off of this bye week. You, you put a lot of heat on Downey to try to get Ryan Tannehill in spots where he can, of course, even if he doesn't have his weapons, be able to excel right. in. So <laughs> anything like outside of like who, who for Jacksonville can be disruptive and Kind of stall well, if you're talking about the Jacksonville defense, yeah, I think the Jacksonville defense has played better in recent weeks. Okay. I think they, they played better against the run in recent weeks. Um, they've looked faster. They've looked more active. Uh, you know, is it a great defense? No, but, you know, Josh Allen's a good player, number mm-hmm. 41. He was a high first-round pick. He's a good player. There have been games this year where I thought Miles Jack looked really quick and explosive, and, of course, he's a great athlete, always has been. Um, so I, I don't think I think their defense is and I don't know what the numbers say. I'm just going by what the film says. I'm sure the numbers are not great. Right. But but I think when you put the tape on, you know, you're going to say that, hey, this is not just a defense. We're going to, you know, go right through like, a, you know, a hot knife through butter. It's not one of those situations. Let me let me ask you real quick before we let you go too, Greg. Anything different that you're seeing over the the entirety of this season from Downing? From the beginning of the season to that six game. You're talking about the offensive coordinator? Yes. Um, So he's in a game losing streak. Yeah, he's in a tough spot too because it's hard. You know, then everything has to be schemed, Ron. Really schemed. That's the thing. And you can do that sometimes, but the NFL is still a game of matchups. I mean, I've talked to so many people over the years, coaches. Um, analysts who do games like I, I remember talking to Chris Spielman when he was an analyst a, a number of years ago and I said to him hey when you start to prepare for a game what is the first thing you look at and the first word out of his mouth was matchups yeah. so you know if, if you can't create matchups let's say in the passing game you know you can you can scheme but you can only scheme so much yeah. sometimes yeah. it's just a man on a man and, you know, if you can't win those with any degree of consistency, it, you have to try to work around that. And it's that's not easy. And that's where the Titans are right now. Can't can't create a mismatch to make a guy maybe pay not in extra the past attention game. to. Yeah. Pay not extra yet. attention to this guy where we can do something right. over here. Yeah. You not got practice squad, guys. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there you go. Yes. All right, Greg Cosell. Hey, speaking of matchups, you need to check out NFL Matchup because, Greg, you do a great job on that. Um, always uh, put it on my TV in my hotel room when I'm on the road. So I always appreciate watching that. Um, appreciate you, Greg. Thank you.
Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Appreciate we'll it, chat with you next week before uh, the Jags game. And uh, if you want to see Crosell's work, you can catch him on Twitter at Greg Crosell, senior producer NFL Films. Certainly appreciate his visits with us again next Thursday as well. Coming up next, we've got Danny Cannell, SEC hater. We'll talk to him right after the break. 3HL on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back in 3HL on 104.5 The Zone. Don Davenport alongside Ron Slabrin. Doherty is off. Joe Hunk behind the glass for us. And this guy joining us. How appropriate is Ice Ice Baby to lead into Danny Cannell, right? <laughs> Cannell, what's That's up? Cool. Don, if you only knew how many times in eighth grade I stood in front of the mirror and tried to do the little dance that Vanilla Ice did. But he was a hurricane, so that kind of, but it was before I was even thinking about Florida State. So I didn't mind it that much. And by the way, about five years ago, I was on a flight from New York to South Florida, and I sat next to Vanilla Ice himself. I got a great picture with him. Really a cool dude. It was pretty funny talking to him. But yeah, perfectly appropriate. So I appreciate that. That is amazing. I will say this. My, you know, when certain people follow you on Twitter, you get excited. Vanilla Ice follows me on Twitter. It's by far the coolest person who follows me on Twitter. Dang right. I'm so jealous. I tagged him in our photo and he didn't even follow me. What the heck? <laughs> that must be yeah, uh, the blonde boost, hair then. probably helps. Yeah. Um, all right. Danny Cannell coming on uh, courtesy of betonline.net. And we are going to talk some of these championship games and all of that. But first, Cannell, I want to talk about this crazy coaching carousel that is going on right now. Because first of all, more breaking news. Virginia's head coach Bronco Mendenhall says he's stepping aside at the, after the bowl game. That just coming out. So yet another opening. But I want your opinion on what surprised you more, Lincoln Riley or uh, the Brian Kelly move to LSU? I'll say Lincoln Riley. I felt like Lincoln Riley, who was the, you know, he was the chosen one by Bob Stoops to be his heir apparent and had so many playoff visits. You know, you're at Oklahoma, you kind of own that landscape. You know, everything looked up. You got a quarterback in Caleb Williams. Like, Brian Kelly, I think, has maxed out what he could do at Notre Dame. And I, that one makes sense for me. He's been to the playoffs and he hasn't even been close. And I know Lincoln Riley hasn't won a playoff game either, but I feel like Oklahoma's a different spot. You can get the recruits you want. They're going to give you all the resources. Notre Dame, they have, you have your hands tied behind your back with the academic restrictions and character issues that they do not, they do not let you into South Bend with that. And so, like, for me, I thought Brian Kelly, when I first heard Brian Kelly potentially USC, I was like, yeah, it probably makes sense. Like, get an opportunity. LSU was just a mind blown, like, holy cow, Brian Kelly to LSU, really? Like, this is, this is what's going to happen? Um, all of it has just been absolutely wild. A wild, I mean, the season has been awesome. I don't know what you guys feel. I think this is the most entertaining, both on and off the field, college football season we've seen in 20 years. Like, I cannot think of a season where we've had as many upsets as we've had as many, like, new players. We got a Cinderella story in Cincinnati. And then during the season, we're seeing these coaching bombshell moves. It's been awesome. But back to your original question, I was more surprised Lincoln Riley bolted for USC because I felt like he was going to stick it out and be one of those lifers at Oklahoma. 
And I know Oklahoma fans felt the same way, which is why they're not real thrilled in putting up traitor signs around Norman, letting their <laughs> feelings be known about Lincoln Riley taking off to USC. Well, yeah, you know what part of that is, though, Canell. He didn't want to go coach in the best conference in college football. He didn't want to have to compete in the SEC where it's just brutal. You beat up on each other week in and week out. That's what it is. I don't. I do think there is something to that. It is. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll say it is the most pressure-packed with the highest expectations on you. And I think he was smart enough to realize, because he's had 10-11 win seasons, every year at Oklahoma. And once your fan base gets used to that, they start thinking this is normal, which is, it is not normal. And I think he realized once you go to the SEC, there's only been one coach that has had that every single year, and it's Nick Saban. You know? and, it, and every other coach has eight-win seasons. And guess what happens if you have an eight-win season and you're at Oklahoma and they're used to seeing 10 and 11-win seasons? Guess who's going to be out of a job? Lincoln Riley. Like, I think he realized – you know what? I, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know. Like, I like my job, but I don't know how much they're going to, you know, we have to be realistic about expectations. And I also think it bothered him that they didn't ask him about the SEC move. Like, he might have preferred staying in the Big 12 and staying at Oklahoma just where they are. And he probably was a little bit blindsided by that. And so, yeah, I think he saw USC as an opportunity to dominate a conference, to be the brand in the Pac-12, which he wasn't even at Oklahoma, which is kind of nuts. Oklahoma's won the Big 12 seven years in a row until this year, and they're not even the biggest brand. Texas is the biggest brand. That would bother me. So I think he wants to feel like, what does it feel like to be the big kid on the block, like to own the landscape? And he can do that at USC, and I think he could have success fairly quickly in that conference because it is a little bit of a mess too. So I think Lincoln Riley read the tea leaves and said, you know what, I think this is going to be better for my long-term, my longevity, my legacy to play for more national championships. I think it was more of a business decision than anything. All right, Danny Cannell with us. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of these numbers for some of our championship games. I want to start with Oregon and Utah and your take on this one, um, just because of what happened the last time these two teams met. Yeah, it's nuts, right? Oregon mm -hmm. was looking like a team that was playoff bound, and then they had a road trip to Salt Lake City to take on Utah, and Utah – physically whooped them like I'm talking was not even close from start to finish an all-around beatdown 38 to 7 dominated every phase of the game and yet that's a that's a spot where Oregon has really struggled now like when there's pressure on the line playoffs on the line and like it, they weren't supposed to, and I know they had the Ohio State win but they weren't supposed to win against Ohio State they were a two touchdown underdog so they're like hey no one thinks we're gonna win we got their play loose and they did I, I like them in this game, which sounds crazy, but wouldn't it be just like the Pac-12 to have Oregon, who just got blown out, come back, win the Pac-12 as a two-loss champ, and be left out yet again? Like this, the Oregon has owned the, the, the Big 12 championship game as of late. The, I think they win the game outright. So you can take the two and a half points. I think they get revenge on Utah. I also think there's some to play at Rice Eccles in Salt Lake City. Altitude impacts you. I think that affected them. I think seeing the way they got beat up, there's got to be pride in those Duck players. So I like the Ducks in the rematch in this one, which sounds crazy considering how they got blown out. But it's tough to beat a, tw a team like that twice in a row. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I know in rumblings of, of Mario Cristobal, in, interested possibly in your alma mater one day. We'll see. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I know, yes. right?
Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's talk SEC because you mentioned, you know, the guy that consistently um, always wins in the SEC in Alabama now going in as the underdog in this game. And this line is six and a half. That's a monster line for an SEC championship game for Alabama to to not be a favorite. It's the first time Alabama's been an underdog since 2015. It's the first time they've been a six and a half point underdog since 2008. They've been a favorite 92 straight games. Like it's remarkable the success that Alabama has had. All of it tells me why, why wouldn't you take those points? Like why wouldn't you take the six and a half? Not to mention everybody and their brothers on Georgia, 80% of the money, 84% of the bets are on the Georgia Bulldogs which tells me the smart money, the sharp money is on Alabama. And if I can get Nick Saban as a six and a half point underdog with a quarterback in Bryce Young, who's probably going to win the Heisman Trophy, I'll take that all day long. I do think Georgia finds a way to win. It just feels like it's their year. Their defense is so good. I do think this will be a low scoring game. I like the under in this one as well. But if I can get Nick Saban, who, by the way, is 24-1 and against his former assistants. He did lose to Jimbo Fisher this year, but he's owned Kirby Smart so far. If I can get six and a half points with a Crimson Tide, I'll take him all day long. Hey, hey, let me ask you this real quick, Danny, before we get you out the door. You can answer this real simple. Is this where we're headed in college football as far as the SEC being what it is, guys joining them, and then the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-10 doing, Pac-12 doing exactly what they're doing? Like, just being top-heavy. Maybe one or two teams tries to keep them afloat, but then you got the SEC just beating up on each other. Yes, I think so. You know, I, I wonder what the next shift is in college football because with Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC, and it's, we're talking super conference already. Mm-hmm. They add those two. It's going to make it even bigger. The alliance, you know, of these other conferences trying to keep up, the Big Ten trying to just hold steady – I think we're on the precipice of something big. And I, I don't know if it's even like a super league with 32 teams. Maybe the SEC gobbles up a lot of the ACC. But something needs to change. The other thing I've changed my mind on in general, I've always been a proponent for amateurism. I'm a believer that there's value in education. But when we're seeing coaches paid $17 million not to coach, we're seeing money yeah. wasted. Man, give some of that to kids. Give yeah. them a piece of the pie. When we're seeing Tom Herman, who's an offensive analyst for the Chicago Bears, getting $6.5 million this year and $7.5 million next year to just basically not even coach, to be an analyst, there's a problem with the amount of money that's being wasted. And you're like, let's give some of the players. You want to waste it, at least let the players who are putting their bodies on the line. And that is a massive shift in philosophy for me because I always, I always was a believer that you know what, the coaches, they do bring more to the table. They are employees. They get hired and fired. Mm-hmm. But the college football has become more like the NFL in every aspect. We have free agency, essentially. We do have endorsement deals. The one aspect we're not like the NFL is paying the players. I do think it's time for that to happen. Ooh, there you go. We'll continue that conversation yeah. Yeah. on the other side. Danny Cannell, courtesy of Bet Online, betonline.net. Um, Check out BetOnline for updated college football playoff Heisman and conference championship week lines. Thank you so much, Danny. We always appreciate when you hop on here in Nashville and appreciate you, even though I like to give you a hard time. (laughs) I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy the game. (laughs) All right. Ice Ice Baby. Danny Cannell is out. 3HL back right after this. Stick around.